Welcome back, everyone. This is Tone Deaf, ROC Tone Deaf. I'm here with Deaf, and I'm Tone. And I'm Deaf. Welcome. I know uh, we've been away a little bit. Uh, we had a nice interview ready to go with uh, a really uh, a unique person in the community. But unfortunately, because of the pandemic, uh, he suffered a breakthrough um, situation. But he'll be back. Uh, he's presently under uh, quarantine, and uh, we're just going to have to sit tight and wait. No, uh, that'll be great. I can't wait for that. So uh, we thought we would uh, sort of recognize uh, two uh, unique uh, deaths, passings in the music world that happened recently. Uh, one was, of course, uh, Charlie Watts and then uh, Don Everly of the Everly Brothers. And I thought we'd start with uh, Don Everly of the Everly Brothers. Uh, just a few things here, Def, and jump in any time sure. if you have any questions or reactions. But I'll just give our... Uh, our listeners out there just a little background and and do some comparisons too here uh, of, of what these people went through the first uh, thing we'll say is that well he was born in uh, February uh, 1st 1937 he was uh, 80 years old uh, his brother Philip was born on January 19th 1939 uh, and he was of course the younger bo- uh, brother they were raised by a musical family known as the Everly family. Uh, they were performers, uh, and we'll see that the brothers especially caught the attention of Chet Atkins. Now, Chet Atkins, uh, deaf, uh, yeah, a, a famous guitarist, right? Yeah. Country guitarist yeah. and songwriter. Yeah. Sure, mm-hmm. sure. And in 1956, uh, they began to write and record. In 1957, they have their first hit, "Bye Bye Love." Uh, but it wasn't by them. They did not write it. It was written by a, a writing team known as uh, Felice and Bodolo uh, Bryant. I may have pronounced that wrong, but... Uh, well, you're not French. That's okay. Ah, thanks, Steph. <laughs> In 1958, uh, they come up with another hit, Wake Up Little Susie. And they also, uh, on the uh, wings of that, come up with All I Have to Do is Dream. In 1960, they come up with Problems. And they are soon signed by Warner Brothers. Also in 1960, they come up with a song by the name of Kathy's Clown. This was finally written by them, and it becomes their biggest hit. I I remember all those songs as a kid because I have a sister who's around uh, seven years older than I am, and she was a big fan of the Everly Brothers. So all those songs really ring a bell with me, you know, hit home. Oh, you're lucky because I didn't hear about the Everly Brothers until I was way older and I was the oldest in my family so yeah, that was why. Yeah. Uh, in 1961, believe it or not, they joined the U.S. Marine Corps Reserves and a, a little funny side story here is that they actually go on the Ed Sullivan show and perform in their uniform so uh, <laughs> it's got to be out there somewhere on YouTube I bet where yeah. you can oh, yeah. bring that one up. In 1962 they do That's Old Fashioned and that becomes unfortunately their last top 10 hit in the US. Uh, what we start to see is they in the 1960s begin to decline in terms of their success but not in Canada and in Britain. As a matter of fact their uh, popularity begins to grow. They had great influences at this time. Uh, they were influencing uh, the Beatles, uh, Beach Boys, Bee Gees, and of course Simon and Garfunkel. Uh, unfortunately, too, in the 1960s, we began to see a growing use of uh, drugs 
uh, by uh, both, and we see that there was a changing uh, taste in their uh, pop music as well. They have a big argument with their uh, publishing company. Known What's that over, you think? What do they argue over? Uh, money. Uh, money, money, money. Money, money, money. And it, they were known as Acuff Rose, uh, and they break away from them in 1964. Uh, as I said before, they were both addicted to drugs, and the drug of choice was amphetamines. And uh, once again, um, probably something to keep them uh, going from show to show. Dan uh, sort of made this worse by taking, or Dan, Don, I meant to say, took this and made it worse by taking Ritalin as well. Uh, and three years later, Don would suffer uh, a breakdown. The interesting thing here, though, Def, yeah. is that the media kept it quiet back then. All right. There was no TMZ, if you will, no, right? uh, back <clears throat> then. Um, and we'll see that at the end of the 60s, uh, in the U.S. at least, we see an end to their stardom. In July of 1974, uh, we see tension growing between the two brothers. As a matter of fact, there's an incident on stage where Phil will smash his guitar and walk off stage. Like uh, Pete Townsend? Uh, worse than that. Uh, at least with Pete Townsend, it was more of uh, performance art. This one was just rage oh, okay. uh, at All each right. other. Oh, boy. Uh, and we'll get into that a little later, what may have tipped off that incident. In 1974 to 1983, they embark on solo careers because of that. As a matter of fact, uh, an interesting thing I found was that Phil, during his solo career, uh, influenced Warren Zevon and also had a big hand in the song Werewolves of London. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. for uh, Warren Zevon. Yep. We're going to see that they finally do have a reunion show in London, uh, and it is in September of 1983, and it's at the Royal Albert Hall, fitting place. Right, yep. And there's actually a video and LP recording of this somewhere. In 1984, uh, they record Paul McCartney's song, On the Wings of a Nightingale, and it becomes a top ten hit for them. And in 1986, two years later, they write another song called Born Yesterday, and it becomes, unfortunately, their last hit song. They went on to do backup vocals for many artists, including Paul Simon uh, and uh, the song Graceland. Um, they're on the background of that singing. In 2018, uh, we're going to see that after Phil's death, Don admits that political tension between both of them uh, was the reason for their breakup. Yeah, And Don finally gets the courage to kind of fess up his political leanings and he will support Hillary Clinton for that election. Uh, kind of unfortunate that he finally gets to support someone, and, right. well, I guess that's the way it goes. That's how politics work. Yep. Uh, we're going to also see another tragedy here, 2008. The Universal Fire, the, the supposed Universal Fire, uh, will destroy not only their material, but others' material, so that was uh, an unfortunate thing for the brothers. Yeah, I think many artists, like you said, suffered uh, from that. All the original uh, recordings mm -hmm. gone, gone up in smoke. Up in smoke. Uh, Phil dies in 2014. He dies of lung disease. He was a heavy smoker. Uh, and we'll see that Don never stopped loving his brother. Uh, he mourned his brother till his death. And as a matter of fact, he kept his ashes. And we'll see that uh, it was really uh, touching uh, to to see how they ended up in terms of that. Uh, 
they had very unique voices. Don sang the lows and Phil sang the highs. As a matter of fact, the voices would overlap, overlap excuse me, and just form perfect harmony, which many groups uh, marveled at. Don also would usually sing the solo lines in songs. They went on to have 35 uh, Billboard Top 100 hits, and they finally recorded 21 albums, and 2005 was their last tour together. And Don uh, died recently, uh, aug uh, August 21st, at the age of 84 years old. And, you know, just some takeaways from this death, you know, just yeah. kind of reacting to uh, some of the things mm -hmm. we, we uh, have down here. Um, the same old story, you know, rec recording companies wanting to get all the profits and, and cheat artists out of their money. Uh, that's something that, um, you know, especially hurt black artists uh, back in the 50s and 60s. Uh, but it also uh, went after white artists like uh, Don and uh, Phil Everly. And then we see this kind of play out even today yep. in, in terms it of... It really uh, hasn't changed significantly. No, yeah. Spotify. Uh, a lot of artists are not uh, happy with what's going on with uh, Spotify today. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's the continuing battle that goes on. And speaking of battles, the battle of drugs. Uh, we see that both of these... Uh, brothers uh, had to deal with these um, monsters, and I, I, I've always wondered. You know, you're, you're a performer, Def, sure, whereas sure. I'm not, so I can't <clears throat> relate. Well, to this, you know, I, I perform in the bedroom a lot. I, I keep <laughs> the music in there. You know, so. <laughs> well, uh, you know, how do you do it? You know, get up every yeah. night to perform. How do you get the energy? How do you get the performance courage to go up there? And I can see where. Artists will use drugs to uh, get them to. Oh, that, absolutely to that right. Point, so. Yep. Yep. No, I, I mean I understand it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And and speaking of drugs and rock and roll, well, yeah. Let's go to uh, another person that uh, passed away, but lived a, a long life, uh, and that was the great drummer Charlie Watts. Oh, okay, Charlie. Yep. As a matter of fact, uh, Duff, can you remember your first Rolling Stones album that you purchased? Jeez, you know. Um, Actually, I think I, I, I climbed on the, the bus a little bit later, but uh, oh, it, doesn't was, matter. Uh, it was Let It Bleed. Oh. And I think that's the one that had Honky Tonk Woman, Honky Tonk Woman on it. And uh, that was the first one I remember like sort of buying with my own money. So that might have been 1969 or something. Where did you go to buy it? Do you remember? I th probably the House of Guitars. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I was a little later than you because I'm okay. pretty sure yeah. my first Rolling Stones album um, was Goat's Head Soup. Oh, okay. Yeah, right, yep. and uh, so that was that was my yeah. first one, uh, and I too bought it at uh, the <laughs> record art. and it was only or House of Guitars. Uh, right, uh, yeah. Yes, yeah. I'm sorry, House of yeah. Guitars, yeah. and it was only because uh, I, my family, believe it or not, we couldn't afford a record player, uh, and right. when we finally did, yeah. I went nuts and went to the house and oh, right, I yeah. bought like five albums oh, and took cool. them home and played them finally oh, okay. on my. Oh, that's great. Uh, yes, and finally played them on my record. My new record player. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway, Charlie Watts is um, the next guy that we're going to go. His full name was uh, Charles Robert Watts. He was born June 2nd, 1941. And um, one of the great quotes from him uh, that I liked at any rate, he said, I had four decades of seeing mixed bum <laughs> run in front of me. All those concerts. Uh, I, I like that one. Um, but at any rate, uh, we'll see that kind of an interesting fact here that Mick, Keith, and Charlie 
are the only three to have performed on all 30 of the Rolling Stones studio albums. Uh, Amazing, amazing. Oh, wow. Really, uh, you know, and like, what is it? 54, 58 years that the Stones have been... Yeah, right? Sure. 58, 58, 58 58 years, that's it, that uh, they've been playing rock and roll. But rock and roll really wasn't his first love. Jazz was. It was his main influence on his drumming style. Uh, He was also trained as a graphic artist, and he uh, at one point uh, was working in Scandinavia, Copenhagen to be uh, more uh, precise, and uh, he would finally join a blues band known as the Blues Incorporated Band by by Alex uh, Corner was his name, and this was during the 60s British invasion in London, and he got swept away, of course, by this uh, invasion, as many Brits did back then, and he played in a lot of rhythm and blues clubs because of it, and that's where he met Keith, Mick, and Brian Jones. In 1963, he would finally join the, the Stones, but a lot of things had to kind of click here right, yeah. for that to happen. First of all, the Stones could not afford Charlie Watts. He wanted his money before he could play with them. He was making good money with uh, Blues Incorporated. As a matter of fact, he was making five pounds a week, and that's what the Stones had to go out and raise. Uh-oh. And of course, How do they do that? Well, Keith says they <laughs> had to starve and steal in uh, order to get I, that I money. I believe it. Yeah, especially the steal part, especially <laughs> right, right. with Keith. Um, and um, any rate, uh, there was a drummer uh, for the Rolling Stones named Tony Chapman, and he quits. And this was good news for the Stones because they weren't happy with him. And once they had gotten the money, they went to Charlie to replace him. And the interesting thing is, um, you, you'll never guess who replaces uh, Charlie. Who? 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 Tell us. Tell us. The one and only Char- uh, Ginger Baker. Ginger oh. Baker, the great drummer, will replace... From Cream, right? Yeah. yeah. It will replace uh, Charlie Watts and That's become great. a member of Blues Incorporated. So we'll see that that will start his 58-year history uh, with the band. Now, as I said before, he was a graphic artist. He designed uh, record sleeves for the Rolling Stones, and he also designed their tour stages as well. Oh, really? Yep. Now, um, his dad was a lorry driver. He had a sister named Linda. Uh, He collected, like, a large amount of 78 RPM oh. records. You know what 78 RPM records are? Some, yeah, because my some, dad had some of those. Okay. Can at the you house. describe it for some listeners? Yeah, it's I mean, a thick yeah. <laughs> vinyl or whatever. Yeah, I know it's whatever like the material was that was made out of, and uh, you know you could hardly break them. They were so so stiff. Absolutely. But they were you know you would play them on the record player at 78 uh, revolutions per minute, which which looked you like know. it was going 100 miles a minute, right? <laughs> right, right. I mean it was it was incredible. I just didn't understand yeah. uh, the science behind that yeah. one. But yeah, but yeah uh, and don't get cracked over the head by one of them either. <laughs> but at any rate, he was listening to groups like, uh, or people, I should say, like Jelly Roll Morton and Charlie Parker. Uh, and Charlie Parker turned out to be really a big, big influence on him. As a matter of fact, uh, he would go on to write a, uh, a child's cartoon book uh, that was de- basically about Charlie Parker, and it was called Ode to a High-Flying Bird. 
and it really didn't get published until later on and good luck finding it it's mm. it's a tough one to find out there i don't i doubt barnes and noble won't have it no they won't and you'll get a lot of money if you do find or you better have a lot of money if you do find it um he uh as i said before uh was talented with graphic art and as a matter of fact he in high school was uh, a very talented art student, a music student, cricket, and football. I guess that would be soccer. Okay, okay. Right. for us, yep. In, yep. in high school at the time. He, his first interest, instrument excuse me, that he bought was a banjo, believe it or not. <laughs> and it baffled him. Uh, the finger rings on the uh, banjo frustrated him, so he removed the neck. And he did this because he was uh, a fan of the drummer Chico Hamilton, who used to play with brushes, and it inspired him to use the banjo head as a snare drum. He would get um, uh, his first drum kit in 1955 when he was 13 years old. He uh, goes on after high school to attend the Harrow Art School uh, until 1960, uh, and by 1962 he has met the Stones, as I said before, who can't afford them until February of 1963 when they pay, play their first gig. In the 1970s, he also played with Ian Stewart. Now, you remember Ian Stewart, right? Yes, yeah. Can you tell us about him? Yeah, he was, the, he was the, actually the, the <coughs> piano player for the Rolling Stones. That's right. okay. And uh, they later, uh, after Charlie had gotten onto the band, they dropped him. And so Ian Stewart went on and formed his own band called the Rocket 88 Band. And Jack Bruce, by the way, also played from cream from cream like there's an interesting cream connection here <laughs> um, in the 1980s uh, he would also play in his own band known as the Charlie Watts Orchestra and then he would form uh, uh, another band in the 1990s known as the Charlie Watts Tintet now I, I, I would think that that's Ten members. We we believe so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We we just didn't uh, have if time. If we're wrong, you tell us. Yeah, send exactly. us an email. Yeah. Send us an email. Try not to yell at us. <laughs> um, in 1964, he married his wife uh, Shirley Ann Shepard, uh, who was younger than him. She was born in 1938, three years younger than him. They had a daughter, Serafina, and also a grandchild. Uh, Phil, or excuse me, uh, Charlie had a grandchild uh, from Serafina too, as well. Um, and we'll see that he's also a collector, Charlie Watts. Uh, he has collected uh, Civil War memorabilia, which I think is kind of bizarre, uh, but also silver. Uh, and he also had uh, 250 Arabian horses on 700 acres of land. Wow. And by the way, he also collected cars, but he didn't drive. He didn't drive. Amazing. I know. I love it. Um, he had a love-hate for tours. Uh, he loved to play the music, but... He hated the pop life. He couldn't stand the screaming girls. On the surface, you'll see that he was a quiet man uh, and also uh, a very faithful man as well. He was married to his wife um, uh, till his death. Uh, as a matter of fact, there's a story where he played at Hugh Hefner's uh, Playboy Mansion. And, of course, all the other Stones went in and played with... Um, the girls, uh, but uh, supposedly Hefner, or excuse me, uh, Charlie went into the game room at Hefner's house and stayed there during the duration. And there's supposedly a 1972 documentary that Is documents that. So? that. Yeah, we got to look that one up too. Yep. Um, More homework. Yes. 
As a matter of fact, he stayed away from the party life on tour, and what he would do is sketch every bed that he slept on during his tours. Uh, so uh, supposedly he kept them, so maybe that'll be a coffee book. That could be a right. time down the road. Can't wait to see Sealy yeah. Pastorpedic. <laughs> right. You know, man. <laughs> um, as a matter of fact, um, unfortunately, uh, there was a dark period in uh, Charlie's uh, life on the road. It happened in the mid-1980s, and that's kind of interesting, too, because uh, the mid-1980s have been a dark period for a lot of rock uh, heroes out there uh, that are still with us, like Bob Dylan did not have a very uh, happy 1980s. He supposedly slipped into a lot of drugs and alcohol back then, but Charlie had his bout with it as well. As a matter of fact, uh, it was alcohol uh, and heroin that he was dealing with at that time. Uh, he was in an Amsterdam hotel, though, at one time, and at 5 in the morning, he gets a call from Mick Jagger, uh, and Mick Jagger is demanding that he get down to his room. As a matter of fact, he screams on the phone, where's my drummer? So Charlie rises up, shaves, dresses, puts on a beautiful suit, shines his shoes, and goes down to Mick's room, whereupon where Mick opens the door and Charlie Watts punches him in the face and yells at him to never call me your drummer again. And as a matter of fact, you're my effing singer, he says. And uh, Keith Richards, of course, adds his story to that and claims that he saved Mick from going out the window to his death uh, in the canals below. Crazy rock and roll life. (laughs) Yes, it's only rock and roll. Um, But uh, unfortunately, uh, as I said before, uh, we're going to see that amphetamines and heroin are his uh, killers here, and we'll see that uh, he did not w- want to become another person, uh, and so he did not want to lose his wife and family, and especially after he broke his ankle in a studio uh, fall on some stairs, he went cold turkey and quit everything. And um, and. That's quite amazing that uh, he had the strength to do something like that. But that wasn't the end of his struggles. In 2004, he suffered throat cancer. He had quit smoking in the late 80s, but still had to deal with it. As a matter of fact, radiotherapy will bring him to remission, and he was able to survive that. Uh, Charlie would go on to play on tours after that with the Rolling Stones up until recently August 5th. 2021 and we'll see that Watts will elect to set out this tour known as the No Filter Tour which was interrupted by Mm -hmm. COVID Right. Uh, and we're going to see that uh, that tour by the way is going to start back up in St. Louis in September September 26th with a new drummer Uh, they had already gotten the replacement uh, supposedly a friend of Keith Richards uh, Steve Jordan and uh, he will be his replacement. And speaking of Keith, the other thing too was during that dark period of Charlie Watts, uh, Keith Richards uh, was telling Charlie Watts uh, that he should get off the drugs before it killed him. Of all people, people. Keith Richards. (laughs) The advice from him. Yes, yes. the the Grim Reaper himself. (laughs) There's a story about Keith too, I'm pretty sure, where he had a blood transfusion. Didn't he transfuse all the... Yeah, 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 yeah. just to clean himself up and yeah, he's he's definitely the Dracula of the group. No doubt about it. Uh, When uh, Charlie died, the Stones and Tribute put a single photo of Watts on their website for uh, two days 
Uh, the last time he performed with the Stones was in Miami, or their last tour, and that was uh, August 30th, 2019. Uh, some interesting uh, awards. In 2006, he was voted into the Modern Drummers Hall of Fame. In 2006, he was also voted Vanity Fair's Best Dressed, and he did have a knack for how he dressed. He took a lot of pride in, in how he dressed. Um, and another quote here by Keith, in, in loving him, he said, Charlie Watts has always been the bed I lie on musically. Hmm. <laughs> Charlie uh, uh, kind of described his playing too. He said, I like to play with swing and solid groove and subtly. The songs that define uh, Charlie Watts uh, were Painted Black, Ruby Tuesday, Honky Tonk, and um, Honky Tonk Woman, excuse me, and Gimme Shelter. And and I do want to add uh, <clears throat> uh, the song Street Fighting Man, <clears throat> excuse me, where he used a uh, like a toy uh, drum set that uh, you could find a picture of on the internet. But it's um, it's a very small set that was put, uh, uh, was contained in like a suitcase. Hmm. So it, it had like a small snare drum and a very small cymbal. But if you listen to the, the opening of Street Fighting Man, you could hear that drum kit being used on that song yeah oh, and you wonder if that was just being clever or lazy I know <laughs> <laughs> very good I know. who knows no, no one will know but it seemed to work yeah um, he also was uh, someone that uh, never battled for control of the band and the Stones have had that history especially between Mick and Keith and uh, actually in the beginning Brian Jones uh, actually got himself fired for trying to get that control and uh, later um, committed suicide, drowned in his own pool uh, of an overdose. Um, Charlie Watts uh, really uh, preferred, though, overall the more intimate settings, and that's why uh, jazz was something that uh, he loved to play and be a part of. And for me, it, for Charlie, it sums it up by sometimes less is best. And when you look at his style, uh, even in rock and roll, when he was up there on the drum set, um, Boy, he looked like he wasn't doing much, but uh, yet uh, it just was so powerful and important to the songs of, of the Stones. And I was uh, kind of looking to uh, tremendous amount of tributes coming in for uh, Charlie Watts. Right, if, you, yep. if you go and look up um, anything on Charlie Watts on his death, you'll see... Rock and roll's greats weighed in on Charlie and how great. You'll even see Paul McCartney without his makeup on. Oh, is that right? Yes. Oh, wow. Yes, yes. <laughs> they got, boy. Hey, Paul Paul wanted to get out there real quickly. So, yeah. It's kind of interesting, too, uh, that uh, I, did, I was noting that uh, Sir Paul McCartney, Sir Ringo, Sir Elton John, what happened to Sir Charlie Watts? You know, I, I, I think the Queen ought to get in on that one. You know, makeup. It's never for, too late. It's never too late, Queenie. So work on that sir thing, will you? Uh, especially for Charlie. I can understand Mick and, and Keith, but not Charlie. Come on. Um, but um, just uh, kind of some takeaways from this. Yeah, what do you have? What are you, what are you well, thinking about? I mean, I was, I was just thinking, you know, as I was looking uh, at their history, that, you know, comparing them to the Beatles. Uh, you know, the Beatles were, you know, there in London trying to make it playing in the clubs and weren't happy with their drummer and replaced their drummer and the same thing happened here with the Stones so kind of shows you drummers out there how important you are to a band so uh, stiff upper lip you know what I mean keep at it somebody wants you but uh, also uh, uh, the whole thing of uh, 
battling for control of the band. Um, you know, the Beatles definitely had their uh, battles in terms of what direction the band would go into. They were four talented guys with, you know, definitely four different ways of doing things. And the same thing was happening with the Stones. Sure. But the difference here, though, is the Stones stay together for 58 years, whereas the Beatles only made it 10 years. Amazing, what right? do you think, yep, Dev? Yep, yeah, it's, Why? it's just, I think they did it for the money. Money, <laughs> money. More than the creativity. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> uh, and uh, so, you know, take that, you uh, <laughs> Beatle, Rolling Stone uh, fighters out there that always argue which one was the greatest rock and roll band. Right. Was it the Beatles or was it the Stones? We'll we'll leave you with that. Right, we'll and like you said right now too, you mentioned this earlier in private, you said that now both bands, if you will, are two, you know two members, even though oh, right. Right, the, you know, the Beatles aren't together, but right. two, two members. That's right, two we, members on the Ringo Stones, and yeah. Paul and yep. for the Beatles and yep. uh, now Keith and yep. and uh, Mick. Two original mm -hmm. members, right? Absolutely, <clears throat> but I, I think with the uh, with the with the stones, they'll they'll play until the last dying breath yeah, by just so one too. of them. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, absolutely. That was uh, kind of fun to do, but kind of sad too at the same sure. time to see two greats like that leave us. Today's podcast has been brought to you by Fiorella's Restaurante, a fine Italian cuisine restaurant located in Rochester's Public Market where the food is bellissimo. Well, thank you again, everyone, for joining us again on ROC Tone Deaf. And we look forward to seeing you again at our next podcast. Until then, send us your comments and government secrets to our email address. All righty, until then, stay irie. <laughs>